So I want to begin um, by just with a phrase uh, and just speaking about the wilderness. There's a wildness to the wilderness, right? I'm a little happy with that phrase. There's a wildness to the wilderness. I just, I like it. There's just this wildness to it. Um, even in the word itself, the word wild is carried by the, wor- the word wilderness. And we, we have lots of probably thoughts about the wilderness in life. Um, some of us have experienced more extreme natural environments that are true wilderness scenarios, and um, there's a wildness to it. It's really cool that the earth is created in such a wild way that there's this wilderness to be found. Um, I found a definition that more, speaks more to the natural definition of the word wilderness, and it's this. Um, the wilderness is the most intact, undisturbed, and wild natural areas left on our planet. Those truly last wild places that humans do not control and have not developed with roads, pipelines, and other industrial infrastructure. So there's still on our, on our earth, there's some wild places that are left. Um, but the wilderness can take figurative, um, it can have figurative feelings in our lives, Right? Who here has ever felt like they've been in the wilderness, but yet they're not physically in the physical wilderness? It's so good. So who else has felt like they're in the wilderness? I saw a few. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, we're real people, and we've been through difficult times, and sometimes we'll say we're in the wilderness. Um, there's a cool book from the 60s called Where the Wild Things Are. I remember reading it as a kid. And just being captivated by the pictures. And um, Where the Wild Things Are is a story by Maurice Sandick, written in the 60s. And in 338 words, she tells the story of Max, who he puts on a wolf costume and, and runs through his house and just creates a ruckus. And he's sent um, to bed without supper. And then in Max's bedroom, there goes, undergoes this mysterious transformation. His bedroom becomes this jungle environment. And he goes on a journey. He sails to an island inhabited by these malicious beasts known as the wild things. But after successfully intimidating these wild beasts, Max is hailed as the king of the wild things. And he enjoys a playful romp with the wild things. But to their dismay, he gets lonely and he decides to to go home. And as he returns to his bedroom, Max returns and discovers a hot supper waiting for him. So Max went into the wilderness figuratively and it's a beautiful story of the wild things. But biblically, the concept of the wilderness has this analogous power to being an in-between land. Um, Today, we're going to begin a series, like I said, called In the Wilderness, looking at the nation of Israel from the Old Testament. And a lot of their development happens in the wilderness, in between um, this place called Egypt, where they were in slavery, and this place called the Promised Land, 
which is what the Lord had promised them as sort of their destination of promise. But a lot of their life is lived in the wilderness, the in-between, in-between slavery, a place of oppression, and this place of promise. They live a lot of their life, their development happens in the wilderness. And we're going to pick it up in Numbers chapter 9, so you can, if you have a Bible, you can turn there to Numbers chapter 9. The book of Numbers, we name it Numbers because of the way it starts. There's a census taken with for the nation of Israel. They're counted early on, and they're counted at the end. Uh, Moses is instructed to number all of the warriors among them, and then they break out the tribes per numbers. The census is taken, and they're ready for war as they come out of Egypt and go into the wilderness and to start to fight for their promised land is the picture. But interestingly, the Hebrew title um, for the book of Numbers comes from the fifth word of the book, and it's the word in the wilderness. It's one Hebrew word, and in the wilderness is the Hebrew title, and it it might be a more fitting um, title from from the stance of summarizing the book, because the book starts with a census, but it really is the story of Israel in the wilderness. And chapter 9 begins in a place where they're at the brink of the wilderness. And we're going to see three pictures here in um, Numbers chapter 9. And it's the picture of the Passover meal, which some of you may be familiar with. Uh, The picture of the cloud over the tabernacle. And then a third picture, which is maybe a little bit more obscure, and it's the silver trumpets. So we'll, we'll get to that. But here we are in Numbers chapter 9, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. First thing we see is that the Lord is speaking to Moses. We should all see this as something that's amazing. The Lord speaks. He speaks to Moses. Moses is the mediator for the people. And they are... um, at Sinai. A few months ago, we wrapped up a series called At the Mountain, and Israel has just had this mountaintop experience at Mount Sinai. They have entered into a covenantal relationship with the Lord. In fact, the Lord said to them, kind of have to go back and listen, it's pretty dramatic, the whole thing. It's, you can read it in Exodus, but basically the Lord said to them, if you will listen to my voice, And if you will obey my covenant, you will be my treasured possession for all of eternity. Among the whole earth, you, Israel, will be my treasured possession. And the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, they entered into a covenant with the Lord. They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And there's um, the Ten Commandments are part of that all the laws about the priestly order and cleanliness and uncleanliness, the instruction for the tabernacle, all of that is wrapped up in this mountaintop experience at Mount Sinai. So they're just departing this, and and this is where we find it. So the Lord speaks to Moses, and it puts it in time and space. It's the um, first month, the first month of the second year, that they had come out of the land of Egypt. I think this is amazingly ironic 
that here we are. Here we are early on in our new year, and we're just kind of looking into Scripture at a place where the Lord is speaking to them in their new year. And in fact, Passover was how they um, started their year. We'll get to that. So the Lord speaks, and look what he says in verse 2. Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its statutes and all its rules, you shall keep it. And then it goes on, and Moses instructs the people, and they're still in this place of, yep, we're going to do this. And it says that they did. They practiced, and they celebrated, and they observed the Passover meal um, exactly one year after they had uh, been freed from slavery. This is um, a really interesting picture because it reminds me of a lot of things. Um, I guess the first thing I'll say is just a few words about Passover itself. Um, Passover was, um, you can go back to Exodus 12 if you want all the details, but Passover occurred the first time at the 10th plague when Egypt was um, there and they had taken the nation of Israel as slaves. And they had been enslaved in Egypt for a long time, hundreds of years. And the Lord, uh, through Moses, instructed Moses to um, ask Pharaoh if the people could go out and worship him in the wilderness. And Pharaoh kind of hemmed and hauled. He resisted. His heart was hardened. But there was this um, long line of plagues that um, converged with the 10th plague, and the 10th plague was the plague of death, that the firstborn males of Egypt would be struck dead um, on this 10th plague. And so the Lord instructed all the nation of Israel to do the Passover meal. So they were instructed to take um, a sheep or a goat, to sacrifice it at twilight, and to put the blood from the, the lamb on the doorposts and the lintel. And it says that that evening, as um, death came through the nation of Egypt, when the Lord saw the blood on the doorposts and the lintel, he passed over each household uh, because of the Passover lamb that was sacrificed. That's Passover. And even as the Lord instructed them to do that, there's a lot of details. You can go back and look. They were instructed that this would be a standing remembrance through all their generations. Every year, you're going to remember this Passover. In fact, the Lord said to them back in Exodus 12, this is the beginning of your new year right now at this Passover meal at twilight. And they started their new year then. And here they are a year later celebrating Passover. And you can imagine maybe one of the children there, one of the up-and-comer kids, they uh, maybe the year before, I don't know, they just didn't know what was going on, but they were kind of just went with all the commotion that maybe they were one of the children that was passed over. They come this year and say, Daddy, why do we, um, on this evening, eat bread that's unleavened? Or they would say to their mother, why do we, on this evening, eat bitter herbs? 
and the people of God would have the opportunity to say, we were delivered. We were delivered from slavery. It was just last year, actually, that this happened. It would be so stark in their memories, and, the, and yet this was to become an everlasting um, and ongoing from generation to generation a remembrance. So here we are at the very first Passover as it's celebrated as a remembrance. I want you to think about just in your own life, especially when it comes to meal times. We've just been through Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, New Year's Eve. What traditions does your family have around mealtime that make it special? And what were the originations or the, what originated those ideas? Um, we have a little one. I'll, I'll hold this up. Some of you have no idea what this is. This is a little, that's a little, um, <laughs> I guess it's a little frying pan. Frying pan. Uh, this comes from a raclette set, which is um, a Swiss meal. They had this melted cheese, and basically, um, my wife grew up in Germany, and her family had one of these, so we got one. And we do it every New Year's Eve, we do a raclette meal. So on, on the table, in the middle of the table is, it's kind of like fondue, but there's actually a, a little raclette electric oven, so to speak. And it has these little um, frying pans all around the, the uh, raclette station, and you just have food all around the table, vegetables, bread, um, some meats, and of course you have cheese, and you can do eggs. Um, what else can you do? You can do all kinds of stuff. You can basically do whatever you want, and the kids just kind of put their food in there, and then they cook it themselves, and it's really fun. But these get like really hot. You can actually burn yourself on these when they're in those little ovens. So as our kids have grown, we've, we've learned that the hard way, you know, that these get really hot. It's like them, they're cooking it, you know, cooking their meal on an oven right in front of them. But um, it's become a tradition in our home, and it originated kind of in a past, but through repetition, it actually becomes more meaningful as the kids get older. And it's... It's neat how the Lord um, uses meals to bring in deep spiritual reminders of what he's doing. And that's what's happening here with Israel in this first Passover meal that they're remembering. And then in verse 6, something happens. Look at this in verse 6 of chapter 9. There were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body, so they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day, and those men said to him, We are unclean through touching a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? Moses said to them, Wait, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Like the King James Version just says, Stand still. Stand still while I hear from the Lord. So what's happening? So there's these men. They're unclean because they've been burying their family. And they just learned about all the layers of cleanliness and holiness and set-apartness of God. And it's, it's all new and fresh to them because they just got it at the mountain. And it is interesting that they say, why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering? I'm not sure exactly 
the motivation there. We're not really given precisely their motivation. But we do know that they are ceremonially unclean, and you needed at least seven days to be made clean again, and there was a process to do that for these people. Um, And they want to know, okay, do we celebrate the Passover or do we pass over the Passover for a year and come back? So the Lord speaks to Moses in verse 9. And and listen to the response. It's interesting. It says, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if any of one of your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body or is on a long journey, he shall keep the Passover to the Lord. So he's saying you still have to do it. But then in verse 11, he he gives this, um, it's called a delayed Passover. He says, in the second month, on the 14th day at twilight, they shall keep it, speaking about the ones that are unclean. They shall eat it, and then he explains how to do it in the same way with unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and he goes on. But then in verse 13, he says, but if any one of you who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring the Lord's offering in at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. Here we see um, both this flexibility or this elasticity in the laws of God, but also this narrowness and this um, rigidity to it. So for the ones that have lost loved ones or the ones that are on a journey, the Lord says, yeah, you can delay the Passover for one month, do it on the same day of the month at the very hour. But for those of you who are clean, this is not... um, like an option. You know, at Christmas Eve, we, we did three services, two here in Hokesson, one in Wilmington. And we said, you know, whatever's best for you, you come to the 5 p.m. or the 6 p.m. or the 7 p.m. Christmas Eve service, kind of like whatever's best for your family, do that one. But here the Lord is saying, this is not a sort of consumeristic, optional Passover. The Passover happens at an appointed time when you are, as a people, supposed to remember your salvation. And yet he he creates this space for those who are struggling, saying goodbye to a loved one or on a journey. Uh, When they did the Passover lamb, it was down to the household. And if the household was too small for one sheep or goat, They could join with another household and do one. And he says, you can go get a sheep or a goat. He has to be without blemish. He has to be a year old. And when you slaughter him, he becomes the Passover lamb. So you can imagine, you know, one household just, do we have to miss Passover this year because we've lost someone? Well, no, there's a, a way for you to keep this with the Lord. So that's what's happening. And with the Passover, and it's the first picture we see, when they leave the wilderness, the Lord wants to remind them, you have been delivered from slavery. You may feel like you're a slave in the wilderness, or you may feel like you don't have everything you need or the way that you want it to be, but you have already been delivered out of bondage. And you're on your way to a place of promise. You have to trust me on that. 
The next picture is in, uh, begins in verse 15. It's our second picture. It says, On that day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel encamped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. If I continued to read this over the next few verses, you would feel like I was just repeating myself over and over again. The cloud lifts, the people follow. The cloud stays over the tabernacle, the people stay. It's just this visible presence of the Lord by day, appeared by fire by night as fire. Wherever it went, they went. And in this picture of the cloud, we see God's presence. The tabernacle was actually the way that the Lord, the holy God, dwelled among an unclean people. The tabernacle, you have to read the end of Exodus to get all the details about the tabernacle. But there were um, precise details on how to set it up, who played a role in moving different parts, how it was taken apart, how it traveled with the people. So God left the mountain where he was present, and he became mobile, and he went into the tabernacle, and he dwelled among the people there. And this, this cloud represented the presence of God among the people, and it became one of the ways that they were led. And with this cloud, we see just God's provision, again, that um, in the wildness of the wilderness, you know, the people are never without direction. They're never lost. So this cloud lifts. And um, when the people were numbered, they were instructed on how to camp around the the tabernacle and how they were to um, move together. So the cloud is, is this picture of God's presence. And then the third picture uh, from chapter 10 is the two silver trumpets. I'll read this for us. This is Numbers chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets of hammered work, you shall make them. And you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. And when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the chiefs, the heads of the tribes of Israel, shall gather themselves to you. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out. And when you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown whenever they are sent out or to set out. And here you see um, this cloud is, is the, the cloud lifts mysteriously. Sometimes it stays a day over the tabernacle. Sometimes it stays two days. As long as it stays, no matter how long, 
um, the people of God stay. And then it lifts, and then they follow the cloud. And this will be um, many years to come that they will follow through the wilderness this way. For years, this is going to be the way that they're led. So what are the trumpets for, the silver trumpets? So the Lord instructs Moses to fashion these silver trumpets, and they become sort of the commanding voice of the Lord among the people. In fact, the trumpets instruct the people how to break camp. And it's it's a massive orchestration. I mean, they're at the census that's taken, the numbers that we have is that there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people um, that are there traveling, following the Lord in the wilderness. And yet, um, what we see here as Israel uh, enters into the wilderness, they have these three pictures with the, that are from the Lord. They have the Passover meal, which is their reminder that they're, they've already been delivered from slavery. They have this cloud, which is such a clear um, presence of God's glory, and it, it steers the way. And they also have the sound of the trumpets, which guides them. And these are three pictures, I think, that are, are helpful as we just think about what Israel does from here. I think we get the sense from Scripture that things are pretty well in order. They have Moses, their mediator. They, they have this priestly family um, and the, the family of Aaron and his sons. They have um, a lot of instruction on how to move. They have the covenant, the promises of God. They have all the laws. They have an awareness of God's holiness. They have a means to interact with him and hear from him, even see him. And so we might expect that this would be kind of a pleasant road through the wilderness. But, but most of, many of you know that it's not that way, and that's what we'll see in the coming weeks is just how quickly the people struggle in the wilderness. Um, to me, I think this is a picture of how God is always providing He's always providing a way for salvation. He's always providing direction. And yet, very quickly, we discredit that. We say, well, if the Lord would just speak in an audible voice, then I would do exactly what he wants me to do. Well, he has spoken. He's spoken by his word. And it's, it's so clear. And it speaks an amazing word to us here today. Or if, if only I could see God, like in a cloud, that would be nice. If he just, if there was a cloud I could follow over the hills and through the woods into the wilderness, then I would know exactly what to do. But, you know, the word is very clear that we have the Holy Spirit. When it, the gospel says that when he, the Holy Spirit comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. What more of a reminder do you need of God's presence than his Holy Spirit, which is at work? And maybe it doesn't appear the way that we always want it to appear so easily. And yet part of the the life of faith is acknowledging that God is present and at work. Or maybe you wish that, like, God would just blow a trumpet 
for you and just tell you what to do. Uh, well, that's what his word is here for. Uh, even the psalmist, 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light for my path. We have a meal, which is tasting. We have a cloud, which is something you can see. And we have a trumpet, which you can hear. The Lord is just making himself visible. And we have the same pictures. We have a Lord who has made himself known. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Take him in and taste, and and you tell me if he is good. And we have a Lord that's made himself visible with his life. He has... um, arrived in his fullness. John 1 says that the fullness of God has arrived in Jesus Christ, the fullness of truth and grace. And through his life, we have received grace upon grace through the life of Jesus made flesh who has been seen and heard. And we are called to follow after him. And we have the spirit of truth that speaks to us today and his word that speaks to us. So I want to encourage you with that as you go today into the new year and into this year. What is the Lord um, trying to do with you this year? Many, some of you are in what, what we would call a serious wilderness, you know, through sickness of children, or loved ones, through um, losing a loved one, through challenges with children, challenges in our marriages, struggling with our identity, our job, what do we do, how do we manage all of this? Some of you really are in, you know, pretty desolate place. You know, others, maybe the Lord is kind to us in this season, and, you know, it's not as much of a hard time as maybe what might be coming. But regardless of the circumstances, we, we have to acknowledge God and his work. Um, we sang, I am yours, you are mine sang those words earlier. I am yours, you are mine. We're going to close with song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Um, On this mount, I'm fixed on this mount of the Lord, place of praise. So I want to ask if you would bow your heads. I'll pray for us and invite the worship team to come forward as we close with a song. Lord, thank you for the direction that you give us through multiple ways, Lord, you have spoken. Uh, You're speaking now through your spirit. You're speaking now through your word. God, if we would only look and if we would only read and if we would only take it in and taste and see how clear you want to speak to us, God, I pray that you would allow us to do that, that we would set aside um, some of our fears and the things that get in the way of our faith in you. God, I pray over each person. Maybe there's someone here who 
can't even celebrate a meal because they have never been really truly embraced the idea of being saved by you. So if there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you as their Lord, their Savior, I pray that you would open up their heart to that, that they would um, recognize, Lord, that they need you, that that you are the the remedy to their sin, that they would repent and turn, turn away from their sin and turn toward you in love, embrace you with a word, and follow you, Lord, with their life. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of salvation that comes through your blood. Jesus, you were called the Passover lamb, that we have this Passover lamb who has died um, as a covering, as a, of a passing over on our behalf so that we have um, been given salvation, though we don't deserve it. Thank you for that, Lord. And thank you, God, for the way that you speak and the way that you show yourself is visible. May we see you at work in ways that you're working. And God, we give you the rest of this day and the rest of this year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.